It's the will and skill to understand who we are and how we're seen by others. How can we drive our organizations into the future using the power of people? And how can we think much more strategically about that? Gratitude is such an important part of mental health, of building great teams. That natural empathy that's really important to getting along with people. It's a better way to lead. It's a better way to live. Welcome to our new mini-series, Better Me, Better We, and Better Ways. Annette, over two seasons, we've had the pleasure to learn from the best psychologists, behavioral scientists, and performance experts. But the most common request... You want to hear from us about the best bits from over 25 hours of content so far. So this is your cheat sheet. We're going to share with you only the best insights, information and shortcuts to achieving better me, better we and better ways. What does that mean? Well, better me is all about having a better day at work. The foundations start with you. How can you be better, more aware, confident and clear in your values? Better we, how do we foster and build great relationships with those around us? And better ways, your best ways to communicate, run meetings, develop strategies, manage performance and make an impact within your organization and the people around you. Welcome to Better We. So Kahal, what is Better We all about? Well, Annette, I think for most people, their days at work involve other people. I know for me over my 20 plus years, some of my biggest achievements and connections came from working and learning with people. On the other side too, some of my biggest challenges were working with people or teams. Did not matter how much I worked on myself, there was a need to be better at working with others and learning how to do it. Currently, workplace leaders around the world are talking about two related issues. How do we keep good people and what do we need to do for people to feel engaged at work? With Better We, we want to help answer those questions. Let's do it, Kahal. Work relationships have a big impact on our days and we believe understanding the importance of trust, Feedback and navigating conflict provides the secrets to unlocking collaborative, healthy and inclusive relationships at work. Trust is critical and is the first of the three areas we'll dive into to help us be better at work. You and I have seen when we work in great teams or bad teams that the outcomes can be very different and we believe it's all about trust. Yes, it is. Look, the research case for trust is so clear. Employees who are less trusted by their managers exert less effort, are less productive and are more likely to leave the organisation. Employees who feel trusted are higher performers who go above and beyond role expectations. And Annette, you and I have seen that ourselves in, in so many different jobs we've been working in together. In any given workplace, there are various degrees of trust from the most essential, which is kind of knowledge, to the most profound, safety. Trust is built from the ground up and reaches its pinnacle when we feel secure enough to just be ourselves. So true. And like you said, we've both seen it day to day, year after year. I know that you've shared with me some stories about previous times when teams you've worked in where you've been ground down in an environment lacking in trust. Yeah, I worked for a manager who had no trust in any of their direct reports and none of us had trust in them either. 
This manager had quite a big ego. They really did shame people publicly in front of their peers and team and always wanted to make sure they looked like the real hero in everything. It was it was strange, you know. Their judgment was also 90% of the time wrong and they really lacked consistency. You know that kind of way where you didn't know one day they could be in great mood, the next day they could shout from the top of their lungs at everyone. It was it was really really strange and it was really mm. draining, you know, for you know, my peers and I, we just, all of us, we, we, we couldn't bear every day working there. And you know that kind of feeling in it when you see someone in the kitchen and you just give each other that knowing glances of another day of misery? The eyebrow goes up. Yes, yes. Go, I hope I'm going to win the Powerball this Thursday. <laughs> I'm laughing because I have heard that from quite a few people. And I mean, it's serious, you know, like I can laugh about it now, but at the time when you're in it, Mm. it's really desperate. And, you know, for some of our listeners, they may be in it right now. And, you know, I could see from working with that particular person, it had a huge knock on impact on all of our teams within the division. You know, we had no trust from our boss. We could not make decisions like we used to before they got there. We did not feel we had protection for doing things differently or without checking with them first. Slowed everything down. So what is the research, data and science on trust, Annette? What could have helped my situation and lots of others out there with an untrusting boss? Kahal, you and I love Joe Folkman's definition of trust, which is trust is the willingness to accept vulnerability based on positive expectations of someone else. And Joe's research was based on tens of thousands of 360 degree assessments of people by people they worked with, their leaders, etc., to determine how to be a better leader and be better at work. And that research found that the smallest behavior with the largest impact is building trust. The small behavior with a big impact is trust. In a low trust organization, you're always cautious, you're always careful. You you know, if you think about what makes economies move quickly, right? It's trust. Because if you're not sure, you know, that you're going to be respected or treated well or doing things, then you're going to be careful, you're going to be slow, you're going to be cautious. It slows everything down. And we know that high trust organizations outperform. Energy doubles. There's less burnout, more closeness between colleagues. People have a much higher alignment with the purpose of the organization. Another good thing, in those organizations, there's higher remuneration for everyone. So Joe's research found that the most effective way to build trust is by building strong, positive relationships. It's sort of this trifecta and and sort of doing all of them. I mean building positive relationships, knowing your job, and then being consistent, doing what I say, saying what I do. So we have four actions to build trust. These are the four very easy actions for people to implement to build trust. Number one, find a way to show people you work with that you trust them. Can you give them more responsibility or take on board their advice? maybe help them accomplish their work and be proactive in supporting their development. Number two, show vulnerability, admit mistakes rather than hide them and encourage others to feel they can do the same. Admit when you don't know the answer. Then number three, 
value difference. Create an environment that makes every team member feel their individual needs are respected and cared for. Understand and take action when poor behaviours impact the team. Stay really connected and in touch with the issues and concerns of the people you work with. Number four, encourage and value people having friends at work. And yourself, make sure you've got best friends at work. We're better able to deal with stress and setbacks when we have strong relationships. In this podcast series, it's become really apparent the critical role work friendships play in so many areas. Feedback is our second component of Better We. If we want to be better, we have to embrace feedback. Getting the best out of people sometimes means that we have to give constructive feedback to improve performance or get a situation back on track. However, we know it's super hard. Feedback can undermine the recipient's sense of self and confidence and possibly even their job security. We're going to share ways to help people stay in discovery mode, allowing you to have a more constructive, open-minded conversation about the issues and blind spots you'd like to work on together. Kahal, as you know, I've had a few interesting experiences with feedback that have shaped me and probably even made me want to always help others get it right and get it right myself. My boss and I attended a meeting with a workplace bully that went totally off the rails. Immediately after the meeting, with my nerves still shot, my manager decided to give me the feedback on my part in making that meeting bad. It was so upsetting. I can't even remember the feedback except that it stung. Giving me the feedback later when I was calmer, I think would have been much, much better. That's awful, Annette. Look, people listening are going to have so many stories like that. I know a lot of people will know me as the feedback guy. Uh, Now I am the feedback guy, but I actually didn't enjoy feedback early in my own career. I dreaded it. But I suppose 10 years at a company that loved it made me love it too. You know, I mean, it just became, it was part of the culture at my first job for 10 years where it just was a very big feedback culture. I think at times, you know, when I'm a little vulnerable or things happening outside of work, I find work feedback hard. And I think a lot of people feel like that in it. I feel like you need to be in the right place to take it. And sometimes managers don't know that. They don't know all of the ins and outs of it. But I think there are some things they could do to get better at it. So let's get into the science of this, Annette, because I know so many people ask us about feedback. There's an initial human reaction of our need to belong. And when we receive feedback on how we could be better, we naturally react to that perceived judgment and criticism. We're hardwired to find what other people think of us as stressful. And the levels of cortisol increase, it's a fact. And others' feedback is only ever their perspective. And it's up to us how much we listen and how open-hearted we are. The event, which is the feedback, plus our response determines the outcome. First, the research shows that people can't reliably rate the performance of others. More than 50% of your rating of someone reflects your characteristics, not theirs. Second, neuroscience reveals that criticism provokes the brain's fight-or-flight response and inhibits learning. Last, excellence looks different for each individual. So 
It can't be defined in advance and transferred from one person to another. It's also not the opposite of failure. Managers, us, will never produce great performance by identifying what we think is failure and telling someone how to correct it. Instead, when managers see a great outcome, they should turn to the person who created and say, yes, that, and share their impression on why it was a success. Neuroscience shows that we grow most when people focus on our strengths. Learning rests on our grasp of what we're doing well, not what we're doing poorly, and certainly not on someone else's sense of what we're doing poorly. So Annette, if we think about the way you got your feedback from that boss at the end of that terrible meeting, what actions should we give our listeners to ensure we are better at feedback? Kahal, the best tool for feedback is the RAP approach shared with us by Joe Hirsch. First, start by talking about what's happening and where it's happening. Give it that context, because without the context, we're going to immediately go into threat uh, detection and ego preservation. And from there, go to the reason. It's very important to establish right up front that the reason I am giving you this feedback is because I care about you and I care about the impact that this is having on our work and on our team. And when you position feedback like that, it does feel very supportive and feels much less judgmental. From there, you go to A, the affect, where you describe the emotional toll this has taken. Again, moving the feedback out of the realm of judgment and into the realm of contribution. So you might describe the affect, um, you know, how I feel when this is happening. Kyle, I want to talk to you about uh, what happened in yesterday's meeting. The reason I want to talk to you about what happened at the meeting yesterday is because I saw you talk over Julie. You kind of shut her down mid-thought, and that really derailed the meeting. And from there, we never really recovered. That's your reason. And then affect, I felt bad for Julie when that happened, because I know that she wanted to share something important. I sensed there was a moment that was critically important for our team that never materialized. And I also feel badly because now I know she's upset. And that's kind of putting a crimp on our team dynamics. What you've done is really capture this fundamental human truth, which is people can argue with what we say, but they can't really disagree with how we feel. So by talking about affect, you know, how I feel and not judgment, what you did, we can put the feedback on much safer, stronger ground. And then finally, get to the prompt, the most important part of this, and that's the P. Well, now that I've told you about what's happening and where it's happening and the reason and the impact that it's having and what it's doing to me and our team, where do we go from here? What do you think? And just listen and learn. Don't tell and sell. Because what you're likely to hear almost all the time is the person who gets feedback like that with a rap approach, stop, think, and ultimately produce an idea, a way forward that is as good or even better than the one that you would have imposed yourself. We love the rap because, I mean, look, the thing is, most people are used to the opposite of the rap, which is the shite sandwich, which is essentially <laughs> say something nice. You did this great. And then hit them with the shite. The rap is a much broader approach to it and actually keeps the person getting the feedback in discovery mode. So that is why anyone listening, we really like the rap approach as opposed to the sandwich. And Kahal, it's the P, the prompt. That's what's different here. Yeah. Like you said, it moves people into discovery mode 
imagining and envisioning what their thoughts are, what they're going to do, they're empowered to take it forward. And that addresses all those challenges with you prescribing what you think is wrong and what they need to do. It totally changes the conversation. So I love the prompt part. Our third component of Better We is showing you how to navigate conflict. We're all about being real here at Better at Work. We know that we often encounter conflict, different personalities and office politics. Let's face it, everyone's living their own life with their own goals and needs. There are so many ways conflict can come about. Maybe it's a misunderstanding, an expectation not met, you know, a low-grade irritation. We've all got those, right? Being excluded from an important discussion. I think that's one that I see a lot. People go, why wasn't I brought to that meeting? What happened? In short, disappointment. Every relationship becomes suboptimal at some point, whether it's a good one that goes off the rails or one that was poor from the start. When suboptimal happens, most of us don't know what to do about it. We blame them or ourselves or the universe or maybe all three. We are at least 75% responsible for how others treat us. Our verbal and nonverbal cues display to others the level of interaction we want. These communication patterns make our lives easier, but also leave us vulnerable. A person known to avoid conflict will often find themselves in situations where they feel forced to back away. This is why individuals, especially those who work in highly political environments, need a repertoire of replies and comebacks at the ready for any situation. Let's look at the science. Why is managing conflict so critical? In extreme situations, dealing with unpleasant or hostile work environments can even have a detrimental effect on your health, increase your risk of heart disease, and the length of time you're exposed to the conflict or the incivility, the more the likelihood of heart disease goes up. You're actually wired to be affected by how you're treated by others. So when your manager berates you in front of your colleagues, or you find out a coworker trashed your project behind your back, your brain feels like you're physically attacked. Your amygdala, that very pesky almond-shaped area in your brain, releases cortisol and adrenaline, the fight-or-flight hormones that can lead to physical manifestations such as shallow breathing or a clenched jaw. You can't think straight. You can't be your best self. You can't respond in line with your values. It's no fun, and in the long run, it's detrimental to your career. Here are four steps to manage and move through conflict. The first one is think about the other person. This is the hardest thing to do. It's the last thing you want to do when someone might be going mad at you. But this is what you have to do. You have to move into that empathy, compassion, and start thinking about that other person. Think about them as another human and think about the situation from their perspective. Number two, what are we disagreeing about the substance? When you're in conflict, it's really easy to get off subject and start getting hung up on peripherals. As well as thinking about the other person, it's really important to come back to what is the actual issue we're disagreeing about. Really try to work together 
to pinpoint and be able to articulate and get to an agreement on that. The third step is working through what is the shared goal? What's the common ground? What do you want to achieve together? That's a real turning point. The fourth step is then to pause and no finger pointing, no labeling behavior, no blaming and get to agreeing to next steps. What are we going to do together from here? Sometimes that might be agreeing to stop, cool down, reconvene tomorrow. Or it might be, hey, I can see that you want more information and more data on the stakeholder feedback and how we're approaching that. Leave that with me. Let's come back on that and reconvene. So that's the fourth step, getting really clear together and getting agreement on what the next steps are. And Annette, you have always been such an expert at this. And for anyone listening, you know, I have taken a lot from Annette in these situations because conflict can be so difficult. Annette, I think not everyone is as good as you at it. You're very good with the pause and you're very good with the let's step away, let's try it tomorrow. Sometimes I think in workplaces, we can all get a little hot under the collar. And in those moments, it can be very difficult. So I think what we're saying here is this isn't easy. It's certainly not. This is the science and this is the kind of what we have seen is the best way to manage conflict. And Annette, I think you're the star at it. I grew up in a big family. I have 54 first cousins. I have been involved in a lot of conflict over whose turn it is to ride the bike from day one. So I think that we've been doing this stuff since we were kids. If you're struggling to move straight into that think about the other person, I also want to share some things that you can do when you know you've had an amygdala hijack, when you go red, when your blood pressure goes up, when you can feel the waves of anger. These are some simple steps that you can do. Breathe. Breathe in for four, out for four. Do four or five of those. It won't take long and no one notices that you're doing it. They really don't. And then also the pause and pay attention to the self-talk. What's going on in here about you know what you're saying about the other person or what you're saying about yourself? The third one is around grounding yourself. Grounding yourself in the present Pay attention to what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're feeling, what you're tasting. That will bring you into your body, into your senses, help you be embodied and present in that situation. If you feel you can't go straight into step one, think about the other person. Do those four steps and that'll make you more ready and more successful at moving into those steps to manage a conflict. Often we do not know when they're going to come up. You don't know when they're going to happen. So having these tools to be ready, just so helpful. So in the previous episode, we learned about Better Me, showing up, knowing your purpose, values and being really self-aware. Now we know what makes a better we. The first thing being trust. Build strong relationships through the four actions. One, find a way to show someone you work with you trust them. Two, show vulnerability. Three, value difference. Create an environment that makes every team member feel their needs are respected and cared for. And four, encourage and value friends at work. For feedback, get, give and act on it with integrity and open-heartedness. Using the RAP approach, 
what, reason, effect, and prompt. For conflict, expect it and be ready with your four steps to manage and move through it. One, think about the other person. Two, what are we disagreeing about? The substance. Three, ask what is your shared goal. And four, pause. No pointing fingers, no labeling behavior, no blaming. And agree to the next steps. We know we've shared a lot today. Do not worry, it will be summarized in our exclusive new sum-ups. They basically sum up the key takeaways and give you some activities to do yourself or with your team. Make sure you sign up to the newsletter so you do not miss these. Betteratwork.net Plus, please do share the podcast with friends or colleagues who would find this useful. We're on a mission to make more people be better at work.